If you do not have an outline of the uh, message, please raise your hand. And Brother Justin, make sure you get one. Please want everyone to have an outline of the sermon today. I'm going to be reading several, several verses of Scripture and uh, taking our main text from one verse. It is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And uh, it's, in, it's, a, it's a very important verse. It says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. And if you notice on the outline, we have the meaning of life. And we're going to ask three questions. Now, I want us to take a deep breath and and think about these because these are questions that have been asked for centuries, thousands of years. And these are questions that mean so much to us today. Questions that are very important. Questions like, where do we come from? Question number two, what are we doing here? And then question number three, where are we going? I uh, was talking with someone today and I found out Einstein had an extra lobe in his brain. I didn't know that. And he, the reason he was so smart. I don't know that, but he was a smart man as far as the world is concerned. But a lot of smart people, a lot of intelligent people have tried to answer and spent written volumes and uh, our libraries are full of, it's full of information about this particular subject. The meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? Where do we come from? What are we doing here? What's our purpose? What are our goals? What's life all about? Where are we going? Is there life after death? Very, very important questions. Notice the introduction. Communism, humanism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, and Islam does not have the answer for the meaning of life. In the Bible, and there only do we find the answers to where did we come from, Why are we here? And importantly also, where are we going? Let me ask the first question first. Where did we come from? Now, it's important that we we look seriously at at this question. Because if we don't know where we came from, we can't understand what we're doing here. And we certainly, if we don't know where we came from, we certainly don't know where we're going. So this first question is very, very important. Many are taught evolution as a fact, but we know, and the Bible says, it's different than that. And evolution is only a theory. But there are millions and millions of people that are being taught the, is it okay to say the theology or the religion of evolution, if I might say it that way? And there are a lot of people that believe it. In fact, the Supreme Court says we can't just teach evolution and 
creationism or creation in the schools. Creation is not allowed to be taught in the schools. The only thing that's allowed to be taught, according to the Supreme Court and according to many people's thinking, is evolution. A lot of people believe in that. Although there's never been a transitional find in the world, in the history of the world. Going from, well, one person put it this way. Once I was a tadpole, small and thin. Then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey in a coconut tree. But now I'm a doctor with a PhD. And there are people that believe. I mean, you're talking about PhDs and doctors and well-learned people. They, they really believe that man came from nothing. That he evolved. I think it's harder to believe that than it is creation. The doctrine of creation. Someone said the significance of creation is mind-boggling. All the beliefs of Christianity are founded on the idea that God is the creator of everything. If you don't believe or we can't have or we don't believe in creation, then we have nothing to hang our faith on. We are created beings wonderfully made in the image and likeness of of God, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then verse 27, put it this way. So God created Out of nothing, out of nothing, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Can I get an amen? I just flat out believe that. It also says uh, in Genesis 2 and 7, And the Lord God formed man out. Of the dust of the ground and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Men who believe in creation do so because they have seen the evidence, talking about creation, that establishes the creator's existence. We've seen that, we know that. And this writer goes on to say, they understand that where there is a painting, by necessity, there must be a painter. That's simple. Where there is a poem, there must be a poet. Where there is a law, there must be a law giver. Where there is a design, there must be a designer. So, Creation is very important to the believer, to the Christian, to the church today that we believe in creation. Apart from creation, there is no such thing as ethical obligation and there are no such things as absolute norms of conduct. So the theology of creation is important. 
We have nothing to go by if we don't believe in creation. We're just here to do our own thing. Everybody lives their own life. Everybody has their own rules. And what happens, our nation, our world winds up in chaos if we do not believe in creation. Biblical, why won't, why there are, why are there people that will not accept creation that believe, believes in evolution? Why? So listen, read with me. Biblical creationism identifies God not just a set of moral standards or ideas. Now let that one sink in. Let that, just think about that for a moment. Biblical creationism identifies God. And that's one reason people don't want to believe in creation is because then you've got to say there is a God. Creationism identifies God not just a set of moral standards or an idea. If you believe a set of moral standards by mankind set by man and ideas set by man, look at the mess that we're in with the election. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Think about it. It's amazing when man sets his own standard. He can do anything he wants to and say, hey, that's okay. Number five, creation is the basis of the gospel. When man fell, and this is the gospel, creationism is the backbone, the foundation of the gospel. God created man perfect. He put him in the garden. He said not do certain things. Man disobeyed God. Man fell into sin. And it took none other than Jesus Christ coming and redeeming man back to a relationship. Giving him back a relationship with God. Wow. You say, what's the gospel? That's the gospel. Close our Bibles and go home. Creationism. How important creationism is. How important it is for us to know and believe that God created all things. If you just look at the body of an individual, look at what we, look at our bodies. There is no way, there is no way, there is no way this could just happen. You'd come as close to that happening as you would to take your watch off your arm or out of your pocket and tear tear it all down, put it in a, a sack and just shake it together and shake it year after year, thousands of year after thousands of years and whatever you want to do and then open it and it's going to be oh it's going to be a watch and running and on time. Where do we come from? God created us. Isn't that simple? In the beginning, God. I just love the idea that God created us. And the Bible says in Psalms chapter 139, and I want you to take this in as, we, as, as you listen and read it with me. For you formed my inward parts. 
You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous of you are your works. And that my soul knows very well. See, man. Good places. Listen, it is important to know every person was fearfully and wonderfully created. And God did not make no mess. I'm trying to make a ha- break a habit. I think I've broken it. You ever do something and you just say to yourself, well, you, you're so stupid. God didn't make stupidity. We may make mistakes, but we shouldn't put down what God created. We shouldn't do away with what God created. And we shouldn't kill what God created. That's the reason life is so important. And that's one reason they don't want to believe in creation. Because they want to be able to abort, abort millions of, of babies without having a conscience about it. Creation. Creation. Where do we come from? Very simple. Very easy to believe for me. And I believe for most of you, if not all of you, you believe that. That God created you. And he loves us. And he, you know, listen, here's something that's important. Not only did God create us, he sustains us. Just as sure as there's a God in heaven, God was looking after Michael and Justin when, they ran, when that guy ran that red light. He said, boy, that is really something. Can you imagine if we really knew how many times God looks after us and protects us and keeps us? I am so glad (laughs) that I am under the protective hand of God. God not only created us, he sustains us and keeps us going. You said, but I know so-and-so happened. Well, there are things that happen. And there's re- there are reasons why it happens. This world is full of sin. And maybe just God wanted to call that person. If that happened, maybe he just wanted to call them home. Where do we come from? God created us. Another important question, what are we doing here? Well, what I'm doing here, Brother Don, is to listen to you preach. Then I'm going to go out and go to the restaurant and get me something to eat. Then I'm going to go home and I'm going to get my easy chair and put on my, my little shoes. And I'm going to go to sleep or I'm going to watch my television program. And I'm going to, you know, we could go on and on and on and on. What are we doing here? What is your purpose? What is God's purpose for us today? What is life all about? The greatest king of Israel. If I ask you today who was the greatest king of Israel, every one of you would say David. David was the greatest king of Israel. And we know the life story of David. We know all about David because there's so much writing in the Old Testament. We know his heartbeat. We know how he thought. We know how he lived. We know the great things about him. We know his mistakes, his sins, his failures. We know all about David. Great man of God. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. 
were back home. And he wanted to build a temple. He, he wanted to build a temple so he could put that ark in it. And so he would have a place. You see, then God dwelt in buildings. Whether it was the tent of the Israelites that were coming from Egypt. Or whether it was a building or whatever it was, God dwelt in buildings. He dwelt among, listen to me, he dwelt among the people. Of course, now you and I are temples of the Holy Spirit, so he dwells within us. So this building here, though it's a beautiful building, he doesn't dwell in this building unless we're here. He dwells in us. So David wanted a place, so God, a beautiful place, so God could dwell there. But God said, you have blood on your hands. You're a man of war. You can't build the temple. But what you can do and what I want you to do is save up the material so your son can build a temple. David had many sons. We all know the story how he committed sin and adultery. Finally married Bathsheba. She had a son. That son died. The second son of David and this wife. The second son. Can you imagine being born into a monarch? Can you imagine being born to a king? Can you imagine all, you know, he had the fastest cars or chariots. He had the best toys or bicycles or tricycles or whatever. I mean, he had everything he wanted. Talking about Solomon. You mentioned, the, you mentioned the word Solomon. And there's very few people, even those that, that don't know the word of God much, they know of the name of Solomon. Solomon. Solomon was a great king. He became the king after David died. Great stories there, just great stories. And Solomon, he just desired all of these things. And he built this, this great temple. And he prayed one of the greatest prayers, not only in the Bible, but ever prayed. But he prayed a powerful prayer. And God said to this man that was wealthy, very very, very wealthy. Donald Trump don't hold him alike. Who's the richest man? I'm trying to think of his name. Donald Duck. Did somebody say Donald? No, they didn't say Donald. Like I thought they did, though. I don't care who, 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 who you want to compare. He was a very, very, very wealthy man. But he built the temple, he stood to pray, and he said, Lord, and the powerful prayer that this man prayed. Brother Dan Saldana would have been very proud of that. He's a prayer man. And then God said, Solomon, yes, Lord, ask me what you want. Tell me what, tell me what you want. And he said, you know what I want, God? I want to have the wisdom to be able to lead these people. I want to have that kind of wisdom. 
God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you what, what you've asked for. I'm going to give you wisdom. But I'm going to give you even more. Because you didn't ask for wealth, I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to bless you like no king's ever been blessed. And you're going to have wisdom like no other man has ever had. And you're going to have wisdom like no other man will ever have. The wisest man in the world. Wow. I don't know if he had two or three lobes. I don't know what was going on up there. But he was very wise. Very wise. And you know people came from all over the world. They came from other countries. They came thousands and thousands of miles because they heard of the wisdom of this man. Things in a certain place got so bad until people were eating their own children. And these two women, these two mothers had gotten together and they ate one of the mother's child. Wow, sounds pretty bad Sunday morning. But it happened. Then came time to eat the other child and the real mother said, hey, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do it. So these two women and the child was brought before King Solomon. Now, how was he going to know whose baby this was? How was Solomon going to know who the mother of this baby was? He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Bring me a sword. And I'll cut this child up in half. And I'll give one mother one half and one mother the other half. The mother that it was not her child said yes. But the real mother said no. Don't do that to my child. Very easy. So he gave the child to its rightful mother. One incident of just much wisdom that this man had. He was so wise. He was so wise. Uh, let's see. I, I, I think what happened with him. That of course he reigned for 40 years. He wrote a hundred. I'm sorry. A thousand and five songs. He wrote over 3,000 proverbs. That people could read. And glean from his wisdom. He wrote three, three of the books in the Bible. The first book he wrote was the Song of Solomon. You ever read the Song of Solomon? <laughs> wow. That's a wow book. Some people don't believe it should be in there. But I do believe it, is, it should be. Of the Shumanite woman and her lover. And all about it compared to the relationship with the church and the relationship between uh, God and his church. Powerful writings. Great, great book. He wrote that when he was young. And then he, then he wrote Proverbs. Love Proverbs. It's got so much wisdom in it. Got so much when it comes to our relationship, not only with God, but our relationship with, with others. Powerful book. He wrote that middle age. He was middle age when he wrote that. And then he's older. Solomon had 
700 concubines and 300 wives. Can you imagine, guys? Can you imagine? That's how many he had. 1,000 women. I could say a whole lot, but I better move on right from there. But the sad thing about that, listen to this. The sad thing about Solomon, the first one he married was a woman of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter. And he thought he'd better himself and his, his country by marrying the daughter of the king of another country. But what happened when he married these women, they brought their gods into his life. And what happened to Solomon? He literally backslid. He got away from God. But when you read the Song of Solomon and when you read Proverbs and you look at this man that had, that had so much. I, I Googled last night movie stars. There are so many of them, especially many of them that died before they were 40 years old. Hundreds. They had everything going for them. They had looks. They had money. They had power. They had prestige. And I'm sure as I'm talking now, you can think of several just recently. Whether it's Michael Jackson, whether it's Prince, or whether it's many, many others that died of overdose. That committed suicide. Beautiful women. Handsome men. Everything going for them. But they were not satisfied. Life had no meaning to them. And so they took their own lives. And got it over with. Solomon, Solomon in his latter years, after all the disobedience and the sin and, and the backsliding and going away from God, Solomon looked at life. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is practically filled with meaningless stuff. He said, what good is it? You work hard. You slave a lot. You work hard. A lot, it goes to someone else. He was so dissatisfied with life. But you know what he did? He looked at life on one level. And that's how a lot of people look at life on one level. He said, the things under the sun. When you read it. Under the sun is mentioned over and over and over and over again. He looked at life in the carnality. He was so disgusted with life. He's now gone from the wisest man in the world to one, if not the richest man in the world, from having everything in his fingertips. And now he's disgusted and he said, what? Is the meaning of life. What good is it? 
Read it. He was frustrated. Howard Hughes. You young folks won't know that name. But us older folks know that name very well. Howard Hughes. At age 45, Hughes was one of the most glamorous men in America. He courted actresses, piloted exotic test aircraft, and worked on top-secret CIA contracts. He owned a string of hotels around the world and even an airline, TWA, to carry him around the world. Twenty years later, at 65, Howard Hughes still had plenty of money. And what he was worth way back then, $2.3 billion to be exact. But the world's richest man had become one of the most pathetic. He lived in a small dark, or lived in small dark rooms atop his hotels. Without the sun, without joy. He was unkept. A straggly beard had grown waist length. His hair fell well down his back and his fingernails were two inches long. His once powerful six foot four frame had shrunk to about 100 pounds. This famous man spent most of his time watching movies over and over with the same movies showing as many as 150 times. He lay naked in the bed, deadly afraid of germs. Life held no meaning for him. Finally, he got hooked on drugs and he died at the age of 67. A medical, for lack, listen to this, for lack of a medical device, his own company had helped him to develop. He could have gotten that machine and lived. He didn't want to live any longer. I remember seeing a picture of him. Amazing. There are many Howard Hughes today. Life means nothing. The suicide rate for our youth today is, is, is out the ceiling. It is amazing, whether we are young or old, when we get to the place. You know, I believe he got, and many get like Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said, Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he Or she possesses. That's not life. We think if we can get this. If we can accumulate this. If we can make this much money. If we have all of these things. We would be happy. If we could just win the lottery. I would be happy. Do you know how many people that win the lottery. That it almost drives them crazy. Friends turn against them. Several of them have wound up committing suicide. Things, possessions don't satisfy. Amen? Where do we come from? What are we doing here? It's certainly not to accumulate. Look at your notes. We're here 
For the Lord and his pleasure, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible were the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. That's why we're here. If we take any other route, if we go any other way, if we try to please anything, anyone else, if we try to please ourselves, do anything else without, first of all, putting him first, then none of these things will be added to us. Look at what Revelation chapter 4 and 11 says. You are worthy, O Lord, this is praise unto the Lord, to receive glory, honor, power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created so when we factor God out when we factor God out of our 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 homes our homes become a mess when we remove God from our society our society becomes a mess when we take God out of the White House the White House and Congress forever becomes a mess And when we take God out of the church, oh, we don't take God out of the church. Oh, yes. When we take God out of the church, it's no more than a club and there's no satisfaction. To come in this place this morning and the bask and enjoy the very presence of God is worth everything. The pews, the carpet, the walls. Church doesn't mean anything unless we can have what we had this morning. You remove that from the church, it's no longer a church and it no longer satisfies. And that's the reason people are where they are today is because many of our churches have taken God out, the Spirit of God out, and they go to church and the same way they went, they leave. And the longing is still there. The pain is still there. The emptiness is still there. The meaninglessness is still there. But oh, when you get under the spout where the glory comes out, He satisfies you. He blesses you. And you say, why would that person holler? Why would that person shout? Why would that person speak in tongues? Let me tell you why. Because that's... God's anointing and blessing in that person's life. And it means more than anything in the world. Nothing to compare with it. (laughs) Nothing even comes a close second. We're created. Psalms chapter 102 verse 18. This will be written for the generation to come. That a people yet to be created, may praise the Lord. We are here to praise the Lord. That's why we're here. That's why we're teaching on worship. That's why we're challenged to worship God. Not just here at church, but riding down the highway at the house. We're to worship God. We're to say hallelujah, praise the Lord. I was in a barbershop years ago getting a haircut. You know, it was years ago because Carol's cut my hair for 53 years. She declares I can't divorce her because if I do, I'll have to catch up on all the payments and I don't have that much money. But I was in a barber shop getting a haircut one day and there was a guy next to me over the next chair just cussing and cussing and cussing. I was Popeye then. 
I stood all I could stand, I could stand no more. And I, in that large barbershop, I said, well, praise the Lord. Boy, you could have heard a pin drop in there. You know what I figured? I figured if that man could put that garbage in my ears, I could at least give God some praise. You're not going to sit there and use my God's name in vain next to me over and over again. I'll either get up and leave or I'll say something. Or turn it off. We're here to praise God. What are we doing here? If we leave God out of the equation, we're not fulfilling the purpose of our being here today. There's a lot of people not here this morning out playing golf, doing their own thing in the bed, sleeping. Let me tell you, you're here because you know that you're pleasing God. Does it make you saved to be here? No, it doesn't make you saved. But you want to please God. You want to praise God. And simply, you say, I don't feel like praising God. You know what? Something that's important. You simply being here in that pew is telling the devil, I'm here. I may not feel like it. I don't feel good. I'm sick. I got a headache. But I'm here. And that being here is praising God. You may not praise God like the other person. You may not be vocal like the other person. But simply you being here is giving the devil a black eye. And you're honoring God. That's what you're doing when you come and sit in those pews. You are honoring God. And that's your purpose. That, this is our purpose. Of course there's a lot more for us to do. Life is enjoyable. Or should be. But our goal, our purpose, number one, is for his pleasure. Number two, his praise and glory. And then Amos chapter 4, verse 12 says it this way. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. You're here to prepare for eternity. Because this is just a brief I mean, it's like the grass of the field. You're here today, gone tomorrow. We hear very, as Brother Michael said a while ago, we hear very briefly. You better be ready. You don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Brother Don, that's pretty negative. No, it's not. It's just facing reality. Just facing reality. Where do we come from? God created us. I love that. I can stay on creation all morning because I just love it. I'm just so glad that the world and all of its stupidity thinks that they evolved. I love animal programs, but I get so tired of listening to animal programs. No matter what you watch just about, they've got to bring evolution in that program. That's okay. They can believe it, teach it. Live it all they want to. I know I was created by God. And you were too. And they were too. What are we doing here? Not finding out that life is meaningless. Not finding out that life is not worth living. Not being miserable all of your life. Listen, if you're miserable, you need to... 
I don't know, you need to maybe even get saved or at least be rededicated or whatever. I'm not going to the third one because my time is gone, but it's important. Where are you going? Father, we love you today. Father, we love you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that I don't stand here today struggling over where I came from. I thank you because I know I didn't come from scum. And that's what they say. I came from scum, but... I'd like to know where the scum comes from. I'm glad today to know that you created us. And Lord, you created us so wonderful. Lord, we all look different. Some of us are short. Some are tall. And then other things. But Lord, we all were created by your hand. And we were made we were made, oh God, in your image. We were made with a body. We were made with a soul. And we were made with a spirit. God, that's something that animals don't have. And the world works so hard to make animals humans today. They want them to have a soul and a spirit and a body. But God, man is the only creature that you gave that right to have a body, to have a soul, and to have a spirit. And Father, I thank you this morning because we know that it's so simple as we hear the whole conclusion of the matter, and that is to fear you. Not to be awestruck and fearful, but to honor you. To revere you. And then to keep your commandments. And we do that through and by your ability. We can't keep commandments. (laughs) We break them all the time. But you give us strength and power. And your Holy Spirit gives us ability to keep your commandments. Father, I'd like to pray before we do anything else for the children of, and grandchildren of the parents and grandparents in this church. They go five days a week, some even more. They go five days a week to a, an institution and they're bombarded by evolution. That's all the teacher is allowed to teach. Is evolution. I pray for every son, every daughter, every grandson, every granddaughter that they're forced to hear this ungodly, unscriptural, unbiblical teaching of evolution. I pray that you would protect their minds, protect their spirit, protect their soul. Let them know, dear God, that they were created. And God, these children, these grandchildren, that they're raised in all kind of atmospheres and homes. 
dysfunctional homes and dysfunctional parents and dysfunctional grandparents. Help them to know that they were wonderfully and beautifully created. Help them to rise above that poor self-image. I don't want to take the place of mom's prayers and dad's or grandparents' prayers. I'm not doing that. I just want to come in agreement for these children and these grandchildren. God, that you would help them to see you as you really are. Hallelujah. To let them know, dear God, that the God of the universe created them in his very image. And though they're taught it day after day, week after week, and year after year, may they rise above that with faith in their hearts, a belief, dear God, that even with astound their moms and dads and their teachers, that they'll believe, dear God, in you. Because it is important not to follow after Stars and actors and actresses and singers. Not to get so caught up, dear God, in sports and sports idols. But may, dear God, they look to you. May they look beyond what this old world has to offer them. A home run, a touchdown, a field goal. God, to be somebody, they got to know somebody that is somebody. Help them to realize that's not true. Oh, God. I pray for our children and our grandchildren. Many of them are back there being taught by our precious teachers. May what they're being taught, may may it stick. May the songs that they sing in this place, may, dear God, they be able to remember those songs. God, I pray against the enemy that would try to cloud their minds with unbelief. I pray, God, for our children and grandchildren today. I ask you, God, to touch their lives.